Well, good morning once again, Anchored. Um, this is my last installment here uh, for a little while. Pastor Carl will be coming and preaching for the next three weeks, but uh, I just uh, wanted to uh, um, thank the Grace Church audio team for putting this together and allowing me to do this. For Pastor John to even uh, say, just keep doing what you're doing, Bill. You don't have to come in. You don't have to be there on Sunday. Take care of your wife. And uh, that has been uh, a great joy to be able to do that. Um, And we're going to continue to do that. We should be getting in the next, I don't know, three weeks or so, a report on her blood and uh, where it stands with her immune system. And uh, so pray that that uh, would be recovering. And if it is... Um, uh, maybe we'll be back. I don't know. We'll see. We're, we're praying towards that end, and we're praying that uh, uh, she continues to get better. This morning, we're going to be back at the uh, Beatitudes, the, the building through the Beatitudes. I'm going to call this message Satisfied with Hunger. That's pretty interesting to say that, Satisfied with Hunger. But anyway, let's uh, pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those who are here in attendance, Lord God. Thank you that their hearts are open and ready to continue to learn about God and God's Word. That's what it's about, uh, that we would be learning about who you are. And because of that, Lord, it continues to change us into the people of God that you want us to be. And so today I pray that that would be um, the outcome of uh, what this session is, what this time is, this opportunity to open up your precious word. Thank you in your name. Amen. Uh, These next few Beatitudes um, communicate much to us about our heart condition. It really is always about our heart. Uh, I know they sort of make fun of us biblical counselors that all we care about is the heart, but that is what's going on. Yeah, we do care about a person's health and, and all of those kinds of things. The Beatitudes, though, are a barometer a thermometer, whatever you want to call it. It's, a, it's a, an indication of our thinking and of our emotions. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, way back there in the 1500s, used a, a Latin phrase, and, and I've used this before to describe the heart and, and describe man. And he, he meant, I mentioned this a few times in my preaching, uh, uh, at least in Faith Builders. I don't know if I've done it here in Anchored. But uh, indulge me once again to use it because I think it is so brilliant. He used the phrase, and it's a Latin phrase, in curvatus en se, in curvatus en se. And that Latin phrase means to be curved in upon self, to always be thinking about self, because that's all we care about. Folks, Luther said that back in the 1500s. (laughs) <laughs> and it hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's only gotten worse. Luther said that before we had the iPhone just curved in on self. As believers, this does not come as a surprise. I, I don't think that I'm surprising anybody here this morning. That man has a profound problem with self. It's a profound problem, and, and it doesn't seem to change until he comes to Christ, and then he can begin to grow. Man's self-indulgence is well known. Uh, This is the basic problem of every man, woman, and child. They ponder over self, they protect self, and and then they promote self. That's what it's all about. It's about self. The work of God and Jesus Christ in 
his holy word is to communicate to man his desperate condition. You are this kind of person you need to change. He, he, the, the word continues to point out how self-centered we really are over and over and over again. Friends, if you are a believer, you know that you had no resources or faculties to save yourself. It was impossible. Impossible to do it by your own um, power or might or anything else. You needed something else. That something else was God and the Holy Spirit. You had to look outside of yourself. You had to look outside to Jesus Christ, the God-man for salvation. You cannot save yourself. But folks, that does not end at our salvation. You should continue to look to Jesus Christ. Continue to plead your case before him. You need to, he, he's the one who's going to meet your needs. He's the one who's going to see what needs you have even before you know that you have those needs and he's going to be supplying things. Um, Don and I have recently gotten into this worshiping God through providence and thinking about the various things that God has done to bring us along the way. And what a blessing it's been. Something that I have learned, though, in this situation with Donna and me, this current situation, is that even though the doctors are brilliant, even though they're well-educated and and they uh, seem to think they have all the answers, they do not. They do not. Only God does. Only God does. He is the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who can bring about His will. Something to think about, and let me ask you, you this question, and it's just something to ponder. You don't need to answer uh, this morning. You can answer it in your own mind. Do you believe what my mother used to say? It's an old saying, you are what you eat. That's what she used to say to me when I was a kid. But she only said it when I had a ring ding in my hand, or a hostess cupcake, or a Twinkie. Uh, you are what you eat. Well, Everything that you take in is going to affect who you are. There's the old saying <clears throat> during the beginning of the computer age, as I've lived through that, is garbage in, garbage out. I would hear that that was an excuse uh, for when things didn't come out right because you put the wrong things in. To the same degree, we are, as God created human beings, we feed our minds. We feed our hearts about things that we must have. That's why there's so many commercials out there for this. You must have this. And so it starts to drag on our heart and, and want us to get those things. Garbage in, garbage out. I could give you example after example of those who fed themselves on materialism or fed themselves on sensuality. But these are not the only corruptions of the human heart. Things like comfort and laziness and social media and television and movies and all kinds of things. Entertainments that just distract us from the things of God. And they are there to distract us from the things of God. When someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Master, generally this previous spiritual malnourishment has this person craving more and more about God. I mean, I could remember way way back when I got saved in October of 1982. I read the Bible from October to December at the end of the year. I had already read it once because I couldn't put it down. All I wanted to do was keep reading about God and God's things. And, and frankly, folks, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that I was reading, but I wanted to read it. New believers are truly hungering. They're truly thirsting for God. 
new believers are intensely seeking the righteousness of God in their lives. And so this thought about what we feed into our heart, what uh, is going to bring about God's goodness, leads me to our passage for today. And so if you will look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says there, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Satisfied with hunger? Really? Satisfied with thirst? Really? Yeah, that's what this is saying. We obviously can see the paradox here. To be hungry and satisfied at the same time is not normal. It, it, it seems like it's an impossibility to be hungry and then be satisfied. How can you be hungry and satisfied at the same time? Folks, I want to help you today and, and be able to push this forward that we would be able to understand this, that we are to be hungering after righteousness, thirsting after righteousness. And folks, unless you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you will never be satisfied. That is a truth. Hungering and thirsting is the only way of the blessing of satisfaction. When you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you are hungering and thirsting for God's will and God's way. That's what this is about. That's what this beatitude is here. That's why Jesus said these words, hunger and thirst for righteousness, because he was trying to get these people to know, understand that they could be satisfied, but they had to keep going in God's direction, not their own direction. God, by grace, satisfies your heart. You, you become contented, like Paul says in Philippians 4, I can be content in all things, with much or with little. He, by grace, ministers to your heart. That is, God, by grace, ministers to your heart. God, by grace, satisfies the heart. God, by grace, causes you to be contented. This kind of person who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness does not mean that they achieve it. Uh, they don't always get there, folks. But that's not the point. The point is is that you're hungering for it and you're thirsting for it and you're going in the right direction for it. That's what you're doing. However, by the grace of God, they are satisfied as long as they are continuing to hunger and thirst. We've been studying this fabulous, I think, God-changing portion of Scripture where it changes people's hearts of Scripture and, and I want to make some observations here. Let's let's say we're on a tour. We're going to pull the bus over here. Let's pull this bus over and just take a look at at the broader picture of what we have here. Uh, We have already seen three Beatitudes in the last uh, few weeks. We've seen the poor in spirit. That means you see you're spiritually bankrupt. We see those who mourn because they see their sin and what their sin caused. And, And those who are gentle. It's interesting. I've had a few questions about that, but... That's what God wants us to be, is to be gentle and lowly. Now, we have this fourth beatitude. That is, it's almost in the middle here, and I'm going to consider it the middle. It's in the middle of the rest of them, and it's like a, a fulcrum. It's, it's sort of a balance here. I want to call this the beatitude of balance, the midway point, as it takes the desire to love God that we've already seen, the desire to be spiritually... Um, satisfied, so to speak, and marries it with now good deeds. That's what he's going to be calling us to. That's what Jesus is going to be calling these folks to, and us as well, calling us to good deeds. That's what flows out of this hunger and thirsting. 
We want to serve him. We see this glorious opportunity that he has given to us. Any Christian, any believer can serve God and should be serving God. Friends, God never saves just to save. He saves you to do good deeds, to do good things. Friends, while God is at work to will and to work his good pleasure. He does that. He fashions that salvation for us. And and he gives us this glorious opportunity to serve him. But at the same time, we need to be getting our eyes off of ourself. We need to be turning our eyes off of ourself and putting them on him and on others. Now, I want to take us through a little bit of a of a background check here, so to speak, of salvation, and then God's accomplishment. I know Pastor John is going to be going through Ephesians chapter, uh, through the book of Ephesians, but I want us to skip to chapter 2. And so if you'll open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, so turn there. And I just want to go through uh, a little portion of this and, and to show you what the end result is of this salvation. And so we start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Completely, utterly dead. Nothing was alive. Nothing was breathing. Nothing was making a noise. Nothing. It was You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, indicating that we were the children, okay, of Satan at that point. We walked according to how he has fashioned this world, which is certainly... Uh, against God. And it says there, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And, and folks, we can see that around our country, around our world, uh, the, the sons of disobedience and, and how it's impacting us all the time. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, meaning we did whatever we wanted to do whenever we wanted to do it, and nobody could speak into our lives, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were haters of God, folks, plain and simple. We were haters of God. We were in opposition to God. That's where we were. But here's the uh, tipping point, but God. God enters in and, and he steps into your life. And, and I, I was thinking about it last night again with my wife, but God, he stepped in. My tipping point was I, I was on the way to divorce my wife. I was a way to end my marriage, all kinds of things that I had in my mind. But God, being rich in mercy, it just absolutely boggles my mind what God did to bring the truth of his word to me. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He loved us, an immense love. Why? How do I know that? Because as elect Christians, elect believers, he had chosen us at the foundation of the world. Why he would choose me at the foundation of the world, I have no idea, but he did. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. That's what he did. He made us alive. Before that, 
trip that I made to Montreal, Canada, on the plane to Montreal, I was dead. I get there, I get saved, and now the rest of my trip, I'm finally alive. I'm finally thinking of others. I get to New York and I say to my wife, let's go back to California and let's go on vacation because we need to talk. She was shocked. As a salesman, I had never said that before. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Speaking of the future, that's the power of the resurrection, what's going to happen. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. He displays his glory now. In me and in you. Because now we don't think just of self, we think of others. But I'm not finished yet. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Going through the description of all that God has done, not as a result of works, nothing that I did, not because I was smart or anything else, so that no one may boast. It's not about me. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. He chose the lowly things. He chose the weak things. That's what he did. He chose those things. But look at this, folks. And this is what I wanted to to get to this point here, to, to see this is what he did it for. Not just to save us and sit in our living room. Not to save us and, and, and for us to just sit around uh, having a nice discussion. No, verse 10 for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Doesn't mean that we're working to get saved, folks. But now that we are saved, we are to be doing good works, which God prepared beforehand. Not only are we supposed to be doing these good works, but God's already prepared them for us so that we would walk in them. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We hear from Jesus that we're to be hungry and thirsting for righteousness. This is what we're supposed to be doing, is looking for those good works and seeing God working in that, seeing others come to Christ because of those good works, seeing others get saved, seeing others be encouraged, seeing others, like Pastor McCarthy even said last week, the Samaritan and and how he took care of uh, others and not, not the priest, not the other Jewish people that were there. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In God's plan of salvation, the plan did not stop at, I'm going to save this one, I'm not going to save that one. No. The idea was once that you are saved, you now serve. You serve him first. You serve to his glory first. And in doing that, you're going to begin to serve others. Thinking about others is more important than yourself, Philippians 2. That's what you start to do. You do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, thinking of others. And as it says in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. In Curvatus and say, like Luther said, no, now we have the opportunity to serve others. Because you are already saved, Because you are hungry, you do the things that begin to show a practical response to the salvation that God has given you. That These are the works that you see there in verse um, 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. 
These are the practical outcomes. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. As you get there, you can see these practical outcomes. And it starts in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Because you see, folks, now you've been blessed and you now have the ability to be able to give mercy to others. You're now able to think of others more important than yourself. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, so they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not doing anything for any corrupt reason, but doing it for pure in heart. For they shall see God. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are trying to bring an end to arguing and fighting and all those kinds of things. They are going to be blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those are the practical things that now begin to happen because you have that hungering and thirsting for Jesus Christ. You have that hungry and thirsting for righteousness. You have that hungry and thirsting that isn't satisfied, but that's what you're going to be, is satisfied in doing those things. The next three Beatitudes are Beatitudes of action, mercy and peacemaking and pure in heart. These are attitudes or, or Beatitudes of action. The one in the middle here is the seeking of righteousness and causes the right kind of actions. So you can see how the Lord in sitting and being speaking and giving his message there was showing them this is the attitude of thinking and, and who you are and then begin to do these actions. That's what needs to happen. So the question is, how do we grow? How do we grow in hungering and thirsting? I have um, not given any points for the last two messages. You know, a pastor's supposed to do point one, two, and three, and I have not done that. I, I know that. I, and so I want to keep my job. So I'm going to give you some points. And folks, I'm going to overload you with points. So if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, and this is the place where you may want to take those notes. So um, we're going to give you some points. Points of how to hunger and thirst. And, and some ideas of things to think about. So number one, the first thing is that you must recognize your false righteousness. What do I mean by that? A false righteousness, that your, your own righteousness is not the standard. It's not what you think the standard is. The Bible, matter of fact, just the Sermon on the Mount would be a good standard to have. This standard here, is, which is an impossible standard, and we're going to admit that. It's an impossible standard, but that needs to be your standard, not your standard of what um, a holy God wants from you. And so keep that kind of standard. You are not the standard of righteousness. God is the standard of righteousness. This past week... Um, I am at home. I'm taking phone calls, and, and a friend of a friend of a friend... Um, made a phone call to me and, and asked questions, biblical question. He said, I'm in a Bible study, and I'm in this Bible study with this guy, and 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 I've uh, been there for five years with this guy, and he, and, and he talks about this, uh, um, uh, his life very often in the Bible study, and, and, and it's corrupt. And, and this, is, this is the kinds of things he describes. But then he says this is his standard. Uh, he, he, uh, 
He goes out and he gets drunk. He goes out and he swears. He goes out and he does some ungodly things. But he, it's okay. It's okay. His standard is that it's okay because he was provoked to do that. What? He was provoked to do that? In other words, somebody must have come along and put a gun to his head and so go, go do these things. You need... No. It's because somebody made him unhappy. Because he didn't get what he wanted. And because he didn't get what he wanted, so he went out and he did these things. And he, and he showed them, well, I can do this. And then he comes to the Bible study and says, yeah, I did that. But you know what? I was provoked to do those things. And for five years, he's in this Bible study. I am so glad this is not Grace Community Church Bible study. Because that is not the standard. That is not God's standard. You can go do whatever you want to do. As long as somebody provokes you, you can, you can, you can do those things. I told this man, I said, you know, you need to go to the leadership of the Bible study first and then ask the leadership to go to the leadership of the church because this man, okay, thinks he's on the way to heaven. This man thinks that he's on the way to righteousness. And he's going to be one of those people in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says to him, I did not know you because you set up your own righteousness. It's not mine. It's not mine, God's righteousness. It's yours, and it's not acceptable. Your own righteousness is nothing but filthy rags, folks. That is the first step, is to understand that you need to be, have the righteousness of God. You need to recognize your false righteousness. I, I even have a man who says um, that uh, he's... His wife left him. Yeah, he was gone multiple times from their relationship where, where he just moved out and went and more than likely was with a, another woman. But she's taken him back because she wants to keep that marriage going. She wants to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's blaming her. My goodness. My goodness. Second, you must recognize that you cannot depend on anything that you calculated as righteous in the past. That's a little bit more tricky here, folks. You've done something in the past. It was good, okay, but you can't depend upon that righteousness. Yeah, you taught Sunday school for 20 years, and, and you, you, know, you wiped their nose, and you did all kinds of things for these little four-year-olds and 10-year-olds or whatever it is, but that's not where, oh, I did that already, and I don't need to do any more. No, no, no. You cannot live on your laurels of the past. Your righteousness is not found there. There are no deeds that are worthy of his recognition, which never become self-satisfied in anything that we've done in the past. Some people say, look at how great my children are. They walk with the Lord and they do this. That's bogus. Where are you today? What are you doing today? That's what's important. If the children walk with God, it's not because of you. The children walk with God because of God. He's the one who brought them to salvation. Do not congratulate yourself with the things you have been blessed with. And that is a blessing because I know some people that are very godly people who raise their children in a godly home and yet their children don't walk with God. That's not because of them. It's because of the children. So we need to remember that, that. We need to realize our utter helplessness and throw ourselves at the foot of the cross at, and, and just ask God, um, give me grace in these things. 
but we have to keep serving. We, we don't give up serving, and, and we cannot make up our own ideas of what serving looks like. A few years ago, uh, there was a man that I met uh, at another church. Uh, I had been there to speak on something. I forgot what it was, and, and uh, he came up to me. He's actually one of the elders, and uh, he was telling me his testimony, and I'm always interested in testimonies. Love to listen to testimonies of God's providence working in somebody's life and how they came to, to faith and salvation. And he tells me that uh, he used to go around the San Fernando Valley. He used to take his car. He used to um, you know, go to the um, uh, places where they were selling used clothing. And if they wanted to give it away, he'd try to take it. And if they weren't, he'd even buy some. Then he'd take his car, get in his car and he'd drive down to Mexico. And he'd go to the poor portion, portions of Mexico and give the clothing away. And he'd just stand there and wait for people to say thank you and all of that. And he really loved it. He, he felt like a hero. He felt like, look, at I'm doing something here in this world. He, he had his own righteous standard is what he had. And I'm, I'm looking at him, just waiting for the, there's got to be something here that, that, that turns. And he says, yeah. And one day I was down there and somebody said, why aren't you giving the gospel? Why aren't you telling them about Jesus Christ? He did not know Jesus Christ. So he came back, he got saved. He started to serve the Lord the same way doing the same thing, still going down to Mexico, but he would bring a preacher with him and then eventually he started preaching because they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Those good works now were really good works, but they were good works for Jesus Christ, not for him. He was not trying to take the accolades for any of those kinds of things. So here we are. First was to recognize our false righteousness The second is to recognize you cannot depend on past deeds. The third, you must long for right relationship with God. You must long for that right relationship with God. He wants you to live righteously and holy before him. He doesn't want you to make excuses. He wants you to extend yourself in living righteously before him. That means the cutting off of the hand, plucking out of the eye, and and cutting off of the foot if they are causing you to sin. Now, I know he doesn't want you to do that, but he's showing through even that example in Matthew chapter 18 that you are to extend yourself that much to get rid of your sin. Do something about it. Don't don't keep coming to your counselor and say, oh, I failed again today. I failed again today. I failed again this week or whatever it is. What God wants is that we have right relationships with those in the community of believers. That within the body of Christ, there are no fractured relationships. That is what Yahweh wanted for the Jews. Our God wants his children to live righteously before him, but additionally, to do so before the world. Those things that we do are to be before the world because as gospel billboards, as I've said in the past, we need to show the gospel in us, that God is working in us, that we are his workmanship going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his representatives. You see, he could have saved us and just elevated us to heaven right away, but he left us here to do the business of Christ on the earth, and that is restoring relationships with others. Number four, our hungering should be marked by a life continually seeking forgiveness. 
Now for that, we need to go to 1 John, and I love this portion of Scripture. We need to continually be seeking forgiveness. That is a life that's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You are dealing with your sin God's way. 1 John, if you go turn there, please, with me. 1 John 1, 8. And and I love the way uh, the Apostle John puts this. He says, if we say that we have no sin. Could you say that? No. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Matter of fact, this is the portion I went with that man who had his own righteousness. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, beautiful scripture, beautiful truth that we have there for ourselves. If we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, here he's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Folks, over and over again, making excuses for your sin is not the way to go. Confession of your sin is the way to go. That's what, that's what uh, John is pointing out to us here. But I want you to also see this in chapter 2, verse 1. And this is an appeal from John. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The idea is to be hungry and thirsting for righteousness, that you may not sin. The idea, of course, is not to sin. And if anyone sins, if anyone sins, notice that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the truly righteous one. Hungry and thirsting for righteousness. Hungry and thirsting after the way Jesus wants us to live our life. Going all the way back to um, Matthew chapter 5. That we are to be hungry and thirsting for it. And what do we get? We get Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. You will be satisfied. If we are not repenters, folks. And that's the seriousness of this. You turn back to Matthew. If we're not repenters that our life in Christ is neglecting the closeness of hungering and of thirsting relationship with him. That's what we need to be as repenters. And when I say repenters, that means turning from your sin. It it cannot be uh, that you repent and that you go back to your sin within that same week. I've been counseling here for a lot, a lot of years, and I see that over and over again, and I sit there and I go, you got to be kidding me. You do that, and then you do it again. You do that, and you do it again. And folks, now that I'm preaching this, I'm preaching to myself as well. So just remember that. The preacher is never immune from his preaching. Fifth, how else can we grow? How else can we practically get to that point of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Righteousness needs to be continually spiritual yearning. Continual spiritual yearning. Righteousness is a perpetual spiritual longing. We're looking for that. We're looking for the right thing to read. We're looking for the right scripture to to study. All of those kinds of things. This is a person who is dissatisfied with self. They know the right relationship with God and the grace that he satisfies. Last night I was 
on the, yesterday, I was on the phone, okay, FaceTime with my 10-year-old granddaughter. And uh, Savannah uh, says to me, so Papa, what are you reading these days? <laughs> what am I reading these days? Uh, she's wanting to know what kind of spiritual books I'm reading. And so I, I told her what I was reading recently. And, and, and I said, well, you have a wanna tonight. So what verse do you have tonight? And uh, the verse that she had was out of Leviticus, where it says, you be holy for I am holy. And then I reminded her, that's also in First Peter 1, 16. You be holy for I am holy. We are to be yearning for the righteousness of Jesus Christ and living a holy life. We should be dissatisfied with ourselves at times. We know that a right relationship with God is the right relationship that's going to satisfy, but only God's grace will do that. Sixth, those hungering and thirsting for righteousness want to be obedient. They want to be obedient. You know, this whole thing with grace, uh, uh, this multitude of, uh, uh, of grace, that you, no, it doesn't matter, you can do whatever you want to do, sin any way you want, God's grace will cover it. That's true, I, I understand that. I, I, I agree that God's grace will cover it. But to start in your sin and think in your sin that I'm going to do this, but God, God's grace is going to cover it anyway, seems to be a little backward. And, and so that, that hyper-grace theology is disturbing to me. It's disturbing to me. Uh, it, it, it even happens that they allow lots of different things to happen that should not be happening. So, do you hunger? So, do you thirst? Do you desire to appear before God is the question. That's what we need to be thinking about. Let me take it to Psalm 42, just, just briefly, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. It says there, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O God. The psalmist got it. The psalmist got it. The, the deer, and especially in a place like Israel and Palestine, there's not much water there, folks. There are deer there, and, and they're going to be thirsting for water. They're going to be looking for it. Their, it, their soul, his soul, thirsts for God. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? That's the ultimate, folks, is what we are going to come and appear before him. And he's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I did this, I did... No. It's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Number seven. I told you it was going to be a few numbers here of the things that we need to do for hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Number seven is this, this hungering for righteousness is Holy Spirit empowered. It's Holy Spirit empowered. So that means that you cannot be grieving the Holy Spirit. Okay, That means that you need to be in union with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be directed by Him. This is so very important, folks. It is only those who are truly His that are directed toward hungering and thirsting. If you're really not hungry and thirsting, it can be seen very quickly. Maybe, maybe, if there's not a hungering and thirsting. Maybe. There is not a newborn there. Uh, speaking of newborns, the believer is like a newborn, okay? The newborn is, is hungering. He, he's thirsting for milk. She's thirsting for milk. That They cannot feed themselves. 
No, no matter what they do, they can't get to the refrigerator. No matter how loud they scream, no matter how uh, uh, noisy they are, they can't get to the refrigerator and help themselves. They need somebody else to help them. This is the same with the new believer. <clears throat> I told you I read the Bible, the whole thing. There were some things in there that I didn't quite understand. Of course not. Even though I have a Holy Spirit there, there are some things that he can inform me on, but some other things need a little bit of study, of course. That's the same thing with the new believer. They need someone, and that is the God-directed, God-transforming Holy Spirit that changes our thinking and our mind. The, the direction that we were going in, in left field, so to speak, begins to be changed. Those proclivities of life that we used to be drawn to, we start to inhibit those things. Folks, this is not an easy task for the new believer, but they have to have the Holy Spirit empowering them to be able to do that. For the guy who used to take drugs or the or the the whatever it is, he, he now has to cut that off completely and go in the other direction, 180 degrees. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is an outline, folks. It's an outline of what the Lord demands. And, and that's what we should be fulfilling is what the Lord demands. This is the way people are supposed to be living. It's just like what he told the Jews when they went into, into Palestine, into the... the, the uh, uh, Israel. They were supposed to do certain things. They were supposed to live a certain way, and, and they were supposed to keep themselves from the, from the pagans. They didn't do it. How are we doing keeping ourselves from the pagans? And I don't mean keeping myself from my neighbor. My neighbor needs to hear from me and see me and talk with me. But I don't need to act like them. Number eight. And friends, this is a warning. This is a warning that comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Right there in this book, this beautiful, absolutely wonderful message from Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses down, maybe on the same page, maybe across the page. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Wow. In other words, don't do what you do to be recognized by others as doing it. Um, years ago, I had this young man who, who struggled with his doing ministry and, and taking the limelight in the ministry. He struggled with it over and over again, back and forth, back and forth. I actually said to him, I said, you know what? It's good that you're struggling like that. You want the Lord to get the acclaim for whatever you do. But at the same time, people are saying, whoa, you're really good at that. You really do well at that. No, folks, it's all because of him, because he even gave the talent to be able to do those things. So don't do your righteousness to be seen by men as being good just because you're able to do it because God is the one who even gave you the ability to do it. I, thought, I think that's a good thing to struggle over. Ninth, and this is some practical steps to pursue the things of God. To really get practical, let's look at the next beatitude. Okay, folks, here we are. I thought it would just lead right up to the next uh, beatitude here, and that is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
How can we practically see hungry and thirsting in this area? Folks, this is the first test. This is the first test to see if we are curved in on self. Or are we thinking outside of ourselves? Are we thinking of others as more important than ourselves? The word mercy means this, the ability of putting oneself in the skin of another. Well, when you see a brother suffering, when you see a sister suffering, how do you put yourself in their sin? How do you help them? Being around Grace Church, I see it all the time. I, I wish I could tell you the ways I've seen it, because then I'd be actually talking about some people, but I don't want to do that. I've seen people come alongside others and just support them for a while. I've seen others do all kinds of things that would help. Mercy is seeing life from the pain and suffering of another. It's not just giving them things, but it's seeing life from their pain and suffering. This is not a a casual feeling, a casual emotional feeling, but clearly identifying with others' pain. Friends, this isn't uh, that God, that this is what God would do and God does. He sympathizes with us. He, he sent his own son to bear our pains, to, to bear our sins. Jesus came to men for Uh, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's what he does. We see that in Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus Christ understands that. He understands our pain. That's why even in the message from last week and, and understanding that he wants to yoke himself with us in this walk. Now, there's no confusion here. If you show mercy, look what actually happens here. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Oh, my. If you give mercy, God, in a sense, gives it to you as well. This is not something that you do occasionally, but something that you're known for. Here is the person who is known as a follower of Jesus Christ. They are merciful because of that relationship with Jesus Christ, because they see the mercy of Jesus Christ in their own life. That's why they're merciful. You want to be unlike what Martin Luther was saying back there, that description that he gave, curved in on self, be merciful. That's how you do it. You want to be different than that accusation that he has there for us, and that's, that is the heart of man. Think of others. Think of their pains, think of their needs, think of the, the, and show them mercy. Remember years ago, one of the folks that used to be, well, still is, in a wheelchair, came up to me and uh, they were heading to the bathroom and he said to me, can you help me in here? Well, folks, I had never, ever helped another man in the bathroom, but he couldn't do it himself. And I had to help him in that bathroom. I, I, I felt that's not the ministry I've been called to. But I, as I thought about it, I said, no, that's exactly the ministry that we are called to. Helping that man who couldn't help himself in that bathroom. We do that because that man is a child of God, made in the image of God. And we show them mercy. 
One commentator said this about mercy. It is a generous attitude which is willing to see things from the other's point of view. The result of knowing your spiritual condition of having a poor spirit, mourning over sin, and the gentleness of Jesus Christ, you know the outflow of mercy. You see that. Truly a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will have the expression of a heart of mercy toward his brother, his sister in need. It is an incredible privilege to be able to do that, to help others. John MacArthur said this about mercy. Mercy is meeting people's needs. It is not simply feeling compassion, but showing compassion. It's not sending a Hallmark card. He didn't say that, but I am. But it's living the Hallmark card for that person. During the time of shutdown in our government, um, the Deacons Fund uh, is used to help people in our community at Grace Community Church. And I had said to the elders in our first meeting that we came back, we're not having communion, so we're not having a deacon's fund offering, okay? And um, I happen to oversee it, folks. Not that I'm trying to brag here to show my righteousness. It's just that I can count, okay? And so we're supposed to help there. And, and I said, so we need to make an announcement. No announcement was ever made. The only way we collect money is, is after communion. We must have had four, five, six communions that we didn't have. That fund stayed at the same amount, if not more, every single month as I looked at the numbers. And I, I saw how much was going out. We were feeding hundreds, okay, of families every week. We were having some of our interns... Um, delivering the food to their home because they didn't have any food. Hundreds of families. We were feeding them, having the cost of that. And then there were some people who couldn't pay their rent over and over and over again. And we were taking care of that. Folks, that fund never went down. It stayed right there. It's not because of us. It's because of you. You knew that your brother and sister had a need and you kept putting money into the deacons fund. I, I, I still, I'd love to go back and see who did it, but we don't do that here at Grace Church. But God put that on the heart of people. And that was lots and lots of money. Not a little bit, folks. But Grace Church is a very generous church, a merciful church. And so I wanted to point that out to you because I think we need to be reminded of that. Friends, God's mercy towards you and salvation, towards you and sanctification produces in you a heart of mercy to think of others. That's part of what we do in the household of God is to, to help others. Let me give you an a, a example of mercy and it's not a mercy towards a human being, but I think it gives the expression of what people have in their heart. Years ago, we were on a trip to Israel. We're going down to Petra, and uh, we were across the border into Jordan, and we're, we're going down there. We're actually walking down this last little bit. And as we're on our way down to Petra, we're walking as a group. You know, we're just sort of scattered around, and, and uh, this 
Arab man, Muslim guy, starts beating this horse. I mean, a camel, whatever it was, donkey, I don't know. Beating him unmercifully. I mean, just laying into him. And this lady in our group starts yelling at the man for beating the horse. Okay? And I'm sitting there going, okay, that's the end of my tour group for Grace Community Church. We're done. And she's just, she doesn't let up until he stops beating the horse. Folks, that's merciful. I'm so glad that uh, we were able to get out of that. But the, isn't that what the Good Samaritan did? He saw that person on the side of the road and he took care of him. He wasn't like the priest and the Pharisee and all of those kinds of people that just walked by, by and said, oh, it's not mine, not mine, not mine. No, that Samaritan did that. This mercy that we have is Holy Spirit produced. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness serve God and others in mercy. That's what they do. If you have received salvation mercy, wow, what about extending that to others in showing them mercy, giving them the gospel? They need to hear it. They need to hear it. Matthew 18, at the end of that long chapter on forgiveness and then church discipline and all of those kinds of things. Matthew chapter 18, verse 33, Jesus ends this parable on, the, on forgiveness. And he says this, Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Yeah, we should have mercy on one another. If God forgave your sins, should you not forgive the sins of others against you? Beloved, some may say, but I do not have the gift of mercy. You know, some people like to get out of it. I don't have the gift of mercy, gift of kindness or gentleness, or those are just excuses, folks. You have to have some of that if you have the Holy Spirit, okay? But in James chapter 2, it says this, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Oh my. Let me repeat that so you get that. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Keep that in mind. Making sure that you show mercy to, your, to those around you. Today we've looked at that pivotal beatitude of hungering and thirsting for righteousness that launches us now, okay, into the rest of the beatitudes. Like displaying the mercy of Jesus Christ on the poor, the hungry, and the disabled of his day, we are to be doing those kinds of things. While we may not heal anyone today, we can certainly love them. We can certainly help them when they need to go to the restroom. We can certainly help them when they need to get across the street. We can certainly help them by making them our friend. We can do those kinds of things. This study is going to inform us of what God's standard is for us. And, and I hope that as you see it, number one, you don't get guilty. You, you, don't, don't, you don't receive a guilt from this, but an encouragement. An encouragement to keep thirsting after that which God wants you to thirst for. Now, don't thirst after better position at work and hunger for a better position at work. That, that, that's, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But hunger and thirst after righteousness. For that's the building of God's kingdom. And that's what's going to last forever. Let's pray. Father God, as 
we've gone through this um, beatitude and and then taking even the next one to show an example of it, a, an illustration of it. Thank you for the folks that are in Anchored. The mercy, the the incredible love that they have shown through one another uh, to myself and my wife. And, and Lord God, continue to grow us to be the people of God that you want us to be. Our righteousness needs to be displayed to you. It doesn't need to be displayed to everybody else. We don't need to give a list to our friends of what we've done and what we haven't done. What we need to do is lay that at the feet of a good God, a merciful King. We pray this in your name. Amen.